I'm really excited to be here tonight with you guys and uh, those of you who were in San Angelo this week, man, we had an incredible week. And uh, you guys did awesome, you served well, you worked hard, and uh, you've been marked. You didn't come home the same. And for those of you that weren't there, I'm, I'm sorry that you missed it, um, but the reality is God wants to do something new tonight. And I've been praying for you guys, um, and, and this has been one of my prayers for you guys, which is found in Ephesians 3. Um, it says this. Thank you. Everyone needs a Tammy Owens in their life. It says this in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height that surpasses knowledge and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I care deeply for each of you. And as much as I care about you and as much as I love you and as much as Mr. Owens and his wife and his family cares about you and believes in you and this family that was incredibly gracious to open up their beautiful home, there is a God who is far greater and far bigger and far stronger and he loves every single one of you. And as I was praying for tonight and just thinking, here's where we're landing at tonight. I get to have the big kid talk with you. I get to throw down pretty hard. And I'm not going to bleed around the bush tonight. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm really not even going to worry about your feelings. Because the reality is this. There is a war that is raging on. And you and I don't understand that. And when you and I don't understand that, we live lives that are foolish and futile. I watched tonight. As you scrambled. Not to get close to worship. But to figure out who was going to be your side buddy. And who you were going to sway with. I I sang louder. To not be distracted by the talking. That you did tonight. During worship. And, And all that that tells me. Is that you don't understand the big picture. Of what's really happening. You know. Like it was kind of like a concert tonight. And I didn't drive four hours today one way to attend a concert in someone's backyard. It is hotter than I don't know what out here. I traveled four hours one way because I believe in the power of the gospel and I believe in what God wants to do in and through you. But only you can make that choice. And it breaks my heart. To watch you scramble and and talk and sway and and miss the reality and the wonder of it all. 
And here's the wonder of it all, that a holy, perfect God, the one true God, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the one who breathes stars and its babies together in their mama's wombs, and who creates the most perfect sunrises and the most beautiful sunsets, that same sinless, perfect God loves you and me. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we get to enter in. We, we get to sing our hearts out and say, God, it's your breath in our lungs and we praise you. But is it me or did we miss it tonight? Did we miss it? Because it was during the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, that y'all were talking and man, if that were true for you, if you were really owning that thing, you'd be crying your heart out and you'd say, man, God, I am no longer a slave to fear. You have rescued me. You have changed me. You have redeemed me. You have restored me. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. But you know how I know you're bound by fear tonight? Because it's all about the ones around you. I get it. Believe it or not, I was once your age. I walked by a table earlier where I heard a group of students talking about so-and-so said something about so-and-so. You're bound by fear because you care more about what other people think about you and say about you than what the one true God says about you, and it's crap. This is all that matters. But we casually dismiss it. Cool, another bonfire. Man, killed five hot dogs. That cute kid was here. Oh, that concert was awesome. And then we go home and we play the same games with the same sin and we wonder why our lives never look different because you're missing it. You're missing the greater reality. And it breaks my heart. But it breaks the heart of God. So tonight we're going to have the big kid talk. You know how the stages of life are? You guys are lucky. That was all bonus material. That wasn't even on my notes. Sorry. Not sorry. You know how the stages of life are, right? Like, when you're a baby, everything's like pastel, and all the music has like a xylophone in it. It's like, right? And then you move on up to toddlers, and it's no longer just milk, but those cereal puffs that look amazing, right? Because they come in really cool packaging, and you're like, no way. Banana star cereal puff, man. Come on, little brother. Give me some, right? And then it's like totally disgusting. But the toys get a little bit neater, right? Because there's sounds and there's lights. It's like, you know, and and you kind of start experiencing the whole poop in your pants thing. And you're growing up and you're like, man, that's uncomfortable. So I'm going to cry. Then all of a sudden your mom wants you to sit on a on a bowl with a hole in it. And you're supposed to like sit until something falls out. And it's just like awkward, right? And so you go from being a baby to being a toddler to being a middle schooler. And it won't be long before you guys are driving cars. That'll increase your prayer life. And then after you get out of high school, you'll be college age. And then after you get out of college, maybe you'll get married and maybe you'll have kids of your own. And that's the cycle of life. And see, there's a spiritual cycle too. You go from being unsaved to being saved. But the end goal is to not just get saved. 
The end goal is to be saved and to be marked by Jesus Christ and to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, to smell like Jesus, and to run your race until you one day fall exhausted into the arms of Jesus Christ in heaven who says, good job, Trapper. You made it. Way to go, Melina. Man, I've been cheering you on your whole life. Job well done, Mark. You've been faithful. That is the end goal. That is the end goal. The end goal is not salvation. The end goal is not death. And the reality is this. It started in Genesis. God created the world. You guys probably know the story. He created it in six days. And here's the cool thing. The only thing that God used his hands to create was who? You and I. Right? Everything else he spoke and and he breathed into existence. But when he created us, he used his hands. And on the seventh day, God rested. And God created Adam and Eve. And they were in the Garden of Eden. And it was perfect. Not a single red ant. Not a single mosquito. Well, I don't think there was. Maybe there was. Not a single sticker on the grass. I mean, it was pure perfection. And it was beautiful. And it says that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God. Perfect fellowship. There was no sin. But there was one rule. Adam and Eve, enjoy the entire garden, but don't mess with that tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They messed with the tree. And that's the first time that sin entered the world. And there were consequences. Were Adam and Eve forgiven? Yes. Jesus is always ready and willing to forgive you. But it doesn't mean that there's not consequences for your choices. Think about it. Adam and Eve were robbed of an entire garden because of one tree. That's the illusion of sin. We think it's fun. I would love nothing more than to smoke a cigarette today. Too honest, there you have it. Because I miss it. And sometimes middle schoolers just put me on edge. Actually, I love you guys. But the illusion of sin is that it's going to satisfy and it's going to help. But the reality is, is it robs from us. And it hurts us. And it separates us from a holy God who loves us. So God had a choice. Would he just take his giant thumb and squish the earth and say, Oh, tired of humans, man. Created them to be like me. Look at how they jack things up. I'm done. It's not what he said. God's plan A, his plan B, and his plan C was to rescue all of humanity. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary. You guys know the Christmas story. And it had been promised for hundreds of years before, it's called a prophecy, that God would send his son and he would be a savior and his name would be Jesus because he would rescue people from their sins. And sure enough, Jesus was born. The only one who can say that he lived a perfect life. He never told a half truth. He never told a half lie. He never once cheated on his homework. Never cheated someone on a deal. Never once dishonored his parents. Disrespected his parents. Never once took what wasn't his. Spent his life perfectly. Fully God and fully man. And he began traveling around. And he would heal sick people. The ones who were the outcasts of society that nobody wanted anything to do with. You guys have those in your school. I know you do. And some of y'all shun them. Jesus loves them. 
The ones that everyone else gave up on, Jesus cheered them on. If someone didn't have food, Jesus gave them food to eat. If someone was thirsty, Jesus gave them something to drink. If someone didn't have clothes, Jesus gave them clothes. And Jesus always spoke the truth. And then it came time to pay for our sins. The reality is, is that you and I are responsible for our wrong choices. You have everyday choices. I have everyday choices. And my choices are only my responsibility. They do not belong to my parents. They do not belong to my jacked up story. They do not belong to Mr. Owens. I am fully responsible for the life that I live before God is my witness. So God sent his one and only perfect son. And Jesus endured the brutality of the cross. There are medical doctors who have actually studied what the crucifixion was. And the crucifixion was actually reserved for the worst of criminals. It was an incredibly painful, slow, agonizing death. The same people that Jesus healed, the same people that Jesus fed, that Jesus blessed. Man, Jesus loves little kids. Loves them. Those same people are the very ones who turned their backs on Jesus and they spat on him. And it says that they ripped the beard out of his face. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And your head has, it's got a ton of capillaries, which means if it gets punctured, that your head bleeds profusely. And they mocked him and they said, oh, look at you, some sort of king you are. Oh, hell, king of the Jews. Oh, look at the supposed God. Look at him now. Helpless. Can't even do anything. And they made him carry his cross. And don't think for one minute that they took the time to sand the wood of the cross. Splinters? Pretty small compared to everything else Jesus endured. They took what's called a cattail. And it's a metal ball with spikes and there's leather. And there's straps on him. And they would take it and they stripped Jesus down in the city square and everyone gathered to stare. That's some serious humiliation and shame. And they had his hands bound and he would be bent over a stone, something like this. And they would take the cattail and they would begin to whip him. And the spikes of that ball would dig into the flesh of his back. And as they pulled it off, it would rip. It would literally create ribbons of flesh that hung off of his back. Again and again and again. And he did that for you and for me. But God forbid we come together on a Saturday night and actually worship when it's time to worship. You know? Like, God forbid we actually get over ourselves, the selfie generation, and actually try to look really hard at Jesus and how incredible he is, rather than looking at ourselves and trying to puff up some picture about how awesome we are. Because we're crap. We jacked it up and we make wrong choices all the time. That's what Romans 3.23 says. You and I make wrong choices all the time. And instead of focusing on God and all that he's done for us, it's all about us. Look at me. I wonder which girls think I'm cute tonight. I wonder who I can go out with this school year. 
I, I wonder whose feelings I can hurt to make myself feel a little better. And we forget the bigger picture. He bled profusely. There was no nurse to step in and save the day. There was no one to offer him a band-aid. No one stepped up and said, Hey, Jesus, I'll take this. Thank you. I've got it from here. No one. And don't think for one minute that you or I would have done anything different had we been there. They would put nails through his wrists and nails through his feet. And in order to get a breath, Jesus would have to push up on the feet, on the spike, to inhale, then to exhale. A slow, agonizing death. But God forbid we take ten minutes to worship the one true God. God loved you so much he would rescue you. He would send his perfect spotless son to save us. Then he would be buried. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead proving every hater wrong. And he spent 40 days on the earth with his disciples. And it says, the Bible says that he's been in heaven preparing a home for whoever would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And one day... People will either spend all of eternity in heaven forever worshiping Jesus. Look, I've got bad news for you. If you don't like worship now, you're going to hate heaven. Because it's nonstop. The Bible says that night and day, angels never stop crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Incredibly beautiful place. And one day you and I will die. And when we die, we will spend all of eternity in heaven with Jesus. Or we will spend all of eternity in hell forever separated from God. Here's why it matters. Your story fits in the middle context of God's bigger story. And that's what we call history. Or what I like to call his story. Your story matters. And actually the bad choices that you've made matter. Because God has this incredible way of taking the junk of your lives. And it says in Romans that God uses all things and works them out for the good for those who love them. So when someone tells me, Tara, I want to get high. I say, listen, I do too. Let's talk about it. What's going on? Let's pray. Because, man, that is a scam from the enemy. That's a lie from the pits of hell. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the sex and better than the drugs and better than the alcohol and better than being the the number one social dog of your class. Jesus is better than having a boyfriend or having a girlfriend or having five best friends. Jesus is better than having hundreds or thousands of followers on Instagram or, or 200 likes or comments on your post. Jesus is better than Snapchat streaks. And I know that you and I don't understand that, but we don't understand that because we don't walk in that. Because we stay in our own little world. And it's like, gosh, we're missing it. We're missing it.
It says this in Ephesians 4.27. Do not give the enemy a foothold. Do not give the devil an opportunity. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11, it says, Be careful because the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But we don't live like that, right? Because you and I, if Mr. Owens calls us out on something, we want to try to justify it, don't? Don't we? I do this. Anyone else with me? Okay, there's two of us. Congratulations to the rest of you. This is what we do. We, we, we try to push the line. We try to push the limit. We say, well, okay, instead of looking at pornography every day, I'm just going to look at it once a week. Because, hey, that's better than every day. But Jesus is saying, stop. I'm better than that. And I deserve better than that. And going to the Boyd Campus Middle School group bonfire doesn't make you a Christian. Wearing a cross necklace around your neck doesn't make you a Christian. Saying that you are saved and you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus said you can tell by the fruit of a tree whether it's good or bad because a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. What is cussing? Good fruit or bad fruit? So does that mean you're a good tree or bad tree? Simple, right? But this is how you and I live our lives. Oh, shucks. How'd that rotten fruit get there? Man, that must be my mama's fault because she sure is a jerk to me. Real talk. Instead of taking ownership. Yep, that's my bad fruit. I enjoy cussing and I'd rather not quit, so I just keep cussing. (laughs) Take ownership. The devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He hates you. He hates tonight. He hates that we've gathered. He hates my guts. He hates the church. He hates Jesus Christ. He hates Mr. Owens and his family. He hates the Boyd Middle School campus group. He hates that a group of you went to San Angelo this week and served your tails off. Why? If it's not real, then why? Why does he try so hard to punk us out? And I know I'm not up here talking like I've got this all figured out and I walk I walk perfectly. I battle every day, hardcore. You have no idea. I'm no different than you. If it's not real, if it doesn't matter, if in the end Jesus is just going to love us all and we're all going to get a Willy Wonka golden ticket into heaven, then why does the enemy try so hard to stop us? Because he knows the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, do not give the devil an opportunity. How do we give the devil an opportunity? Through our mouth, the words we speak. Some of you are incredibly mean and ruthless to one another. And you're constantly talking smack. You're constantly talking trash. You're constantly gossiping. And you're doing damage with your words. Stop. Because you're giving the devil an opportunity. And Jesus is better than that. How do we give the devil an opportunity? Through the things that we look at. Pornography is a scam. And it will destroy you. You have to stop. And you have to do whatever it takes to stop. The movies you watch. 
the things you look at, the way you look at other people. How do we give the devil an opportunity? Through the things we listen to. Your music is trash. Some of the friends you hang with and the things they say is trash. Through your actions, through what you do with your hands. It's all a scam. It's all a lie. And it's trash. That's how we give the devil an opportunity. I like to call the what, the who, what, when, where, and why. Who are you hanging with? What are you doing? When are you doing it? Where are you going? And why? And if it's not to make much of Jesus, or it's not to understand Jesus Christ and His Word better, then it's a scam, and you're the one being punked. And you make it incredibly easy for the devil to get you. The Bible says that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I hear you, because some of you are saying right now, but Tara, I don't know the truth. I know you don't, baby. You know why? Because you're not in the Word. You're not in the Bible. You're on Facebook and Instagram more than you are the Bible. Whose fault is that? Yours? Mine? Mr. Owens? Your dad? Because he's a jerk? Because that's what you want your storyline to be? Oh, my dad's never been a part of my life. So now, at the age of 13, I'm addicted to pornography because I don't give a rip about what God says? That's on you. That's not on your dad. Because God says, if you'll just give me your story, if you'll surrender it all to me, I have this incredible way of working it out in your favor. But God is not going to force you. You're not a puppet on a string. You're not a robot. See, you and I have free choice. So we get to determine how this thing plays out. We're going to read in Ephesians 6 tonight. But there's four things to know. Who the enemy is. The enemy is not your parents. It's just not. The enemy is not your best friend. And it's not your teachers. And it's not your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend. But it says in Ephesians 6 verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Translation, your enemy is Satan. Always has been, always will be. The second thing is this. What's at stake? Who cares, Tara? Why does any of this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because every single minute, 105 people die. I'm sorry, yeah. 105 people die every minute. Every second, two people die. Just like that. Eight people are gone. 10, 12, 14, 16. And they will spend forever and ever in eternity with Jesus Christ, or they will spend forever and ever eternally separated from the love of God the Father. And you know what? It's not the flames that should scare the crap out of us. It's being eternally separated from God. That ought to give you a nightmare. Every single second, two people die. That's why it's at stake. And that's why it matters. That's why it matters what you're doing with your life and how you're spending your time and how you're using your voice and what you're listening to and what you're watching because there is this epic battle going on in the heavenlies between good and evil, darkness and light and it's this cosmic battle and the enemy hates you 
And he will do whatever he can to stop you from being a part of this group. He will do whatever he can to stop you from going to church on a Sunday morning or telling your family members about Jesus Christ. He'll do whatever he can to stop you from praying and to stop you from reading your Bible and to stop you from worshiping. What's at stake? Lives are at stake. The statistics are staggering. There are more than 2 billion people in the world who have never heard of Jesus Christ. Two billion people who were at risk of dying and going to hell forever. Two billion people who don't have a middle school campus group and a Mr. Owens who would do anything for them. Two billion people who don't have a church to go to on Sunday because they don't know that there is one true God whose name is Jesus Christ. And they don't know the story of the cross. And they don't know the power of the resurrection. And you and I want to sit and be selfish and play games and be addicted to social media and addicted to pornography and addicted to self, me, myself, and I, when two billion people don't know about Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. Your enemy is the devil. What's at stake is other people's lives. The third thing is this. Whose team are you on? It says in James 1.8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Wednesdays, you want to follow God because it's cool. Fridays, you want to check out and do your own thing. Joshua 24, it says this. Choose this day who you will serve. In Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, You are neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. I wish you would pick one. Either be hot and on fire for me and love me and serve me and do what I've asked you to do, or be cold. But because you are lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Some of you, actually, by the way you're living... Make Jesus want to vomit tonight. That's why it matters. Because your enemy is not God. Your enemy is the devil. And there are lives at stake that hang in the balance because there are 2 billion people in the world who don't know about Jesus Christ. And God is saying, choose your side. Either you're for me or you're against me. We're done with the wishy-washy stuff, man. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to be a man or a woman of your word. We're done being babies. I want to use you. I want to grow you. I want to stretch you. But you and I get to choose. And the fourth thing is this, the strategy. The strategy for the battle is this. Stand, fight, pray, repeat. Stand, fight, pray, repeat. Stand, fight, repeat pray, repeat. That means that you stand on the authority and the truth of what God's word says. And if he said don't do it, don't do it. Dang it. And if he said do it, then do it. Because Jesus said if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. Point blank. And you fight. Man, you fight. You worship when that's the last thing you want to do. You reach out and you tell someone, I I have a friend that I talk to. I have several friends, actually, that I talk to. So when I want to do something stupid and go get high, you know what I do? I send a text. Tripping out, would love to go get high. And they reel me back in. They say, "Uh uh-uh, Tara, come on. Stay with me. Stay in the fight. That's called humility. 
That's called accountability. Because I'm not going to let the dumb devil win my life again. I've come too far. Because Jesus has been too kind to me. I am not going to be distracted tonight during worship while you guys want to play around and play games and talk and figure out who's cute and who's talking about who. Man, I'm going to sing my heart out. And I don't care if you hear my voice crack because I am waging war. Not only for the sake of my soul, but for the sake of two billion people in the world who don't know Jesus Christ. It matters. It says this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not your strength. Not Mr. Owen's strength. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The helmet of salvation. That means that if you've been saved, if you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it protects your head. It protects your mind. So when the enemy starts whispering, you're not saved. God doesn't love you. God can't forgive you. You've already got that helmet of salvation. I said, shut up, devil. I am saved. The old has gone. The new has come. And Jesus Christ has forgiven me. The breastplate of righteousness protects your heart. Righteousness is a big word that means right standing with God. You've done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to earn it. You and I never could ever earn it. But because of the sacrifice that Jesus poured on a cross, you and I are in right standing with God. And that protects our hearts. Your heart is incredibly vital to your life. Out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. The Bible says, guard your heart. Guard your hearts. Standing firm on the truth that I am in right standing with God the Father guards my heart. The belt of truth. This is the truth. You wear a belt to keep your pants from falling. You don't want your pants to fall because you don't want things to be seen or exposed. It's important. It matters. Right? If you strap on the belt of truth... That, that means that you've got the word of God fastened around you, man. And no lie from the enemy is going to attack you where you're vulnerable. No lie. It says feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Be ready. Some of you, you're not ready. 
You've got these ironclad on boots that are so heavy because you're so full of gossip and slander and bitterness and resentment. That's not peace. That's not the way God designed it. The shield of faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It takes faith to believe in a God who loves you. And you hold that shield of faith in front of you. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is your sword, not your cell phone. Put it down. Give it away if you have to. Your video game system is not your sword. This is your sword. And the reason you keep falling for the same trick again and again, the reason you keep not having victory, the reason you keep jacking it up, is because you're not fighting the right way. This is your sword. And if you don't know what it says, it's because you're not in the Word. This is your sword. It matters. Your life matters. We're going to go into a time of worship. And this is only between you and God. It's not between you and anyone else.